howdy do who fans and welcome to the big blue box podcast my name's gary my name's adam and this is episode 316 oh yes one day i shall come back yes i shall come back until then there must be no regrets no tears no anxieties just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that i am not mistaken in mine our lives are different to anybody else's that's the exciting thing nobody in the universe can do what we're doing i've reversed the polarity of the neutron flow so the tardis should be free of the force field now you may be a doctor but i'm the doctor the definite article you might say the trouble with time travel is one never seems to find the time change my dear and it seems on a moment too soon unlimited rice pudding etc etc i am the doctor for now for this moment i am the doctor again the ground beneath our feet is spinning at a thousand miles an hour and the entire planet is hurtling around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour and i can feel it we're falling through space you and me people assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect but actually from a non-linear non-subjective viewpoint it's more like a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff i could be a curator i'd be great at curating i'd be the great curator <laughs> i could retire yeah i'm the doctor I've lived for over 2000 years and not all of them were good. I've made many mistakes. And it's about time that I did something about that. Bit of adrenaline, dash of outrage and a hint of panic knitted my brain back together. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. Sorting out fair play throughout the universe. Hey, 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 Doctor Who fans. Welcome back to another week. I hope you're keeping safe and well. Hope you've had a cracking week and that you've all managed to do something Doctor Who, Doctor Who related. Related. Relatable. <laughs> another week. It's episode 316. Rattling through the 300s. Oh, yes. You remember the uh, days of old when it was like, Welcome to episode 16 of the... <laughs> before your voice dropped. <laughs> well, well, I hope it dropped before <laughs> Crikey. Yeah, but it, yeah, it just feels... Well, it doesn't feel weird. It feels normal now to be rolling through the 300s and stuff. It's all good. We've got a bit of a quiet one this week. There's no news to... There was a bit of news, but it's just ridiculous, mate. It's just it? the... Um, there was... I think it was the radio... Either the Radio Times or... The mirror. I can't remember which one it was. And they were saying, oh, John Barrowman put this cryptic tweet out or this Instagram post and he's coming back to Doctor Who and all the rest of it. I think he put something out like he was in a bar somewhere. I think he might be in San Francisco at the moment. Yeah. Maybe something like that. And he put, a, there was a, he was in a, a bar or a club or something. And the, the doors inside very very loosely resembled the doors of the TARDIS and he put something like uh, once a Whovian always a Whovian something 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 I think it was just an you know I think it was just him putting a random tweet out related to Doctor Who and so that particular news outlet grabbed hold of that and then all of a sudden Captain Jack's back and and all of that rubbish so it's just not worth talking about anyway it's clutching at straws isn't it 
I think that's the thing. They're, de- we're desperate for s- they're desperate for some news to report. So yeah. like, what can we get out there? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, yeah. mate. Yeah, I think uh, everybody around the world has scraped through to the barrel. Now we're scraping the ground the underneath. Barrel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if anything, I think the only thing decent we had recently was the announcement of the panel at the upcoming Comic Con stuff. Yeah. So we might get a little nugget of something. I tell you what, mate. If that if that's a letdown. If it's, if, a, if it's a wet lettuce. Yeah, if at the end of that panel, all we have is a trailer that's 20 seconds long and they've been interviewed about stuff and we have nothing at all, I'm going to be so miffed at that dude because we know what the Chibbers is like, okay, with keeping stuff close to his chest and all that jazz. But surely to God, anyone at the BBC in charge of of that would have spoken to him and said, look, we have to give them something you cannot come out of that panel after having no Doctor Who on TV for so long and not just nothing really in the way. Because I know we've had the the, the interactive theatre show thing, Time Fracture. Yeah. I know we've had that, which is kind of cool. And we've had some other little bits. Wasn't there a, a video game that was out early on in a year? Or yeah, that's the one that made year. me feel sick. Do you yeah, something like that. So yeah. that's okay. That's kind of cool, but... Uh, and obviously, Big Finish has ticked along nicely and still put loads yes. of stuff out. But in terms of the main show, the headline event, the t- the, the the thing that we all... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just hope we come out with something, dude. Something yeah, cool. Yeah, me, you know. me too. And I something... I don't want it to be like a photo of them sat around a table or anything like that. Do you remember when we waited for the big news and we got that? picture of graham and yaz sat at a table we were like are you kidding me out of all the photos they could have given yeah, to promote yeah, yeah. the show i mean that's a prime example now i'm hoping we get something i said before we kicked off recording um i, I really want to do another round table podcast where we get the writing team in and we can all have a good old natter and chew over the fat and i was saying but we haven't got anything to chew over at the minute but i'm hoping that yeah i'm hoping that this um panel that's coming up will give us something to to get our teeth into yeah it'd be good if it did I mean, when do, are we looking at like September, October? Are people guessing the show uh, will air? We guess so. I mean, it all depends on how closely they want to link the finale to the festive special, if there is one. Yeah, if there is one. You know, so typically, it's um, it's October. It's 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 the end of September, beginning of October, and it normally runs through until the end of November. And then you have a bit of a break as you go through December and then you have your used to be the Crimbo special, but it's now the new year one. But Festive. because there's only eight episodes this year, it's probably gonna be I would say the first week of October. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people are getting yeah. guessing around around that. So not not too far. So I reckon next sort of um month or so we should start getting something i'll tell you what i missed though um because we were sort of saying you know a lot of people are saying this that it's so quiet it's not just quiet it's so quiet it feels almost as if the show's vanished and um what i do miss is people like stephen moffat and rtd used to be almost like the face of doctor who didn't they like they were if when doctor wasn't on or whatever or they would give interviews and and um, do the production notes in doctor magazine and they just always seem to be there you know i mean Moffat, I love him. You know, he used to just tell you everything that was coming up and you'd think, you know, he's almost the absolute opposite of Chibbers. He didn't sort of try and keep stuff secret. He was so excited, wasn't he? And, and um, I don't know, it just feels like they were almost of the, 
pushing force behind the show. But Chibbers is so the opposite, isn't he? He's so quiet. We never hear from him. We never see him. Um, and someone was saying, oh, we won't do any, he'll never do any live panels because he'll get lynched and all this sort of thing. But lynched. I don't know. I sort of, <laughs> I just miss that having that, especially Moffat. I just used to, I mean, I love RTD, but I used to love Moffat in interviews and he just seems so passionate about the show and everything. And I, I just miss having that showrunner presence. Um, and, uh, you know, fair play to Chris. He's obviously a different kettle of fish. He's obviously a much more shy person that, you know, prefers to be behind, you know, behind the show. He's obviously just not wanting to put himself out there. Fair enough. But mm, I do yeah. miss that. You know what I mean about Moffat and I? He was always just at conventions and he'd be at the BFI and he just always seemed to be there. Same with RTD, really. They just seemed to be talking about the show non-stop but i mean i guess it was on air a lot more and all that sort of thing but you know just mi- yeah. just missed that no i'm with you on that dude and it's it's weird though because i mean they are the producer of the show and it's the, to me it sort of is goes back to the j and t thing it's i used to think well it's strange isn't it how they're almost a personality within the show themselves like it's strange you don't like you don't you don't really sort of have that on any other show that i could think of like you don't know I don't know, the producer of, like, EastEnders or Crown Street. They're not, like, the face of it. Do you know what I mean? But with, like, J&T, he was always there, wasn't he? He was, like, the, he's, like, this personality that everybody knows. Mm. And RTD the same, and I think Moffat the same. But, yeah, Chris is just so so different, isn't he? He's just completely the opposite. He is, so yeah. so he just doesn't feel like he's there pushing the brand forward like Moffat and RTD did. Yeah, he's polar opposites to that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not an attack yeah. on Shivers, by the way. I'm just saying it's so different, and I just miss that that interaction with the showrunner. Mm. No, I'm with you on that, dude. Yeah. And the thing is, you would you would think that because it's been so quiet and the show's been off the TV for quite a while now, you would think that they would be making more effort to yeah. uh, just to do stuff. I mean, there could have quite easily have been. Because we know that they're still filming at the minute. So even though we know, well, we're confident that the bulk of Series 13 has been done. And that's probably in post-production, well, definitely is in post-production ready to go. We know that they're still filming stuff, which we guess is going to be something for next year. Whether it's going to be these rumoured few specials and, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All it takes is a steady stream of cool little set picks and you know little nuggets of what's going on on set and you know let's let's speak to the guy that's doing the visual effects for the TARDIS landing mm. <laughs> in a mm-hmm. just do stuff you know just keep keep the uh just trickle feed it out you don't have to do these big massive announcements that builds everybody's ex you remember in the last few years we've had that thing where somebody will see something it's like there's a big announcement coming and it's going to land at midnight mm, oh uh, yeah, yeah do you know yeah, that yeah. kind of thing that used to happen yeah. and everybody it, it spreads like wildfire then the, the the whole doctor who community is and fandom is up at midnight and it's a 10 second teaser that reveals absolutely nothing and uh, if you get that if you get I mean, that well, and that's it i was gonna say yeah some of them were, weren't even that were they? it would be like a book announcement or something really random wasn't it there was a couple of <laughs> a couple of announcements that were just mind-blowing uh, and not in a good way. Um, yeah, it's funny because a lot of that starts as well as just rumour. And I think the fans are desperately trying to keep <laughs> the momentum going, you know. Well, that's uh, it, Because there is no uh, there, yeah. Well, that's like, it. You know, go on, on, sorry, carry on. 
No, I was just going to say, it's a bit like we had something called football on at the last weekend. <laughs> I've never been a football fan, but I did get sort of wrapped up in, in sort of the euphoria of it. So I, do, I watched the, you know, the final. And um, there was all these rumours, weren't there? Oh, we're going to get a train in the middle of football because 30 billion people are watching and it's the perfect time to promote the show. And I'm thinking, I can't see that happening, but it'd be great if it did. Yeah, of course yeah. not. No, it's frustrating in a way. Not to be too negative about it, but it's um, it's frustrating in a way because everybody here in the UK pays the the BBC license fee, which obviously funds the making of the show and everything. Mm. But there doesn't seem to be any of that money put aside for any kind of marketing. And like I said, it doesn't have to be a huge, big, expensive thing or a big. Um, thing that whips people up into a frenzy and it ends up being you just have to do little little and often you know that's all it has to be and it's frustrating because in a way the bbc are like well it's the fandom that are keeping everything going all the content creators the youtubers Mm. the podcasters and everything it's like hold on we pay you any chance you could do some of that for us Mm. yeah so, it wouldn't take a lot. I'm not being funny, but even if they released a picture, like an unseen picture of Jody or outside the TARDIS, and that would be enough to send you know Twitter into a frenzy. You know, they, we're keen for anything, really. Yeah, yeah, that's it. There you go. But there we go. How's your week been, dude? You done anything, Doctor Who? Um, no, I, I downloaded so Dalek Universe Two got released from Big Finish today or yesterday yesterday, yesterday. yeah um so i'm gonna download that and give that a listen today um because i enjoyed the first one thing is i've already forgotten what happened i don't know if this is an age thing <laughs> i was thinking today <laughs> i i know i really enjoyed part one but i can't remember anything that happened in it at all <laughs> and it wasn't that long ago it came out so I'm, i don't know if i should give part one a listen again i'm not sure but yeah so i'll probably give that a listen later i haven't really done Anything else, to be honest with you? Uh, the trailer for that, by the way. Have you seen the trailer for Dalek Universe 2? I have. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely awesome. Mm. But, I mean, that's, again, that big finish really have really come into their own. And they must have got a bit of money. I don't know if the BBC are sort of helping them out a bit more now. But that trailer for Dalek Universe 2 is, is really, really good. And they've had some great trailers recently. So, um, I don't know. I just I remember, like, when Big Finish started, they were, you know so careful about the releases because they were such a tiny little company that were just, you know, trying to get these audios out and they've become bigger and bigger. And they're obviously in a, a good place at the moment because they're really knocking out <laughs> so many audios. And yeah, but it's a cool trailer that. It is cool, mate. Yeah. It reminds me of the 50th. You know, remember when we got that trailer 50th, all the doctors in the sort of motion and the camera sort of spinning around with an almost, I don't know what they do. They've obviously got a photograph. They've made it look slightly, um, like a piece of artwork rather than the photo. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really cool. I love, love that style. Yeah. yeah, it's got a good old big finish though. Yeah, they're doing all right, aren't they? They're really doing good at the minute. Yeah, because even though those guys kind of do that stuff pretty well in terms of marketing, we don't get a, an event. We just get uh, we get a couple of trailers out, especially for the bigger releases. We get a couple of trailers out and we have some behind-the-scenes pics that they put out on their Twitter account and stuff. You know, it just keeps that nicely ticking along. There's definitely, you can feel the passion for Big Finish, can't you? Mm. You can definitely sense that they're really into what they're doing and, and the promotion and stuff. I was going to say, um, I can't remember if we talked about it last week or not, but did you pre-order the new, so there's a, another animation coming out, um, Evil of the Daleks. 
which has oh, been yeah. rumoured for ages that they were going to do it, but I think a lot of people weren't sure if it was happening. So it's been announced, and I have to say the artwork for the Steelbook on that, absolutely awesome. Mm. Yeah, I've yeah. not pre-ordered it, mate, but yeah, it does look... I've not pre-ordered it yet, but yeah, it does look good. It, it does, Steelbook, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. I'm glad they're doing that one as well. There, You can tell that the BBC are slowly filling in those gaps so they can get those complete sets out, you know, mm-hmm. which is great because I'm desperate for an early Doctor release in the Blu-ray sets. I'd love to see a Hartnell set or uh, Troughton come out. So I, I think, I wonder if sort of like the fact that those Blu-ray sets are doing so well, is that sort of helping to fund these animations? Because they're not, I know people criticise them and stuff, but they're not <laughs> cheap, these animations, you know, so no, no. something, you know, they must be getting the money from somewhere. So, yeah, that's cool. Evil of the Daleks coming out uh, in September, I think. Yeah, it's this year, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Yeah. Jamie! Very different, Jamie! <laughs> very different style of animation from the Web of Fear oh, that's yeah. coming out, isn't it? They, yeah. yeah, it was totally different, totally different style and different person doing it. Yeah. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, so at least you got them to look forward to. Yeah, uh, you'll be pleased to know, dude, that I cracked open the um, the season twenty four. Oh, really? Yeah. What you've been watching? Yeah, so I've I've not watched any of the actual stories, but in terms of special features, um, I've gone through a few of those, and mate, they're so well done. They're brilliant. Crikey, yeah, they're so well done. So in conversation stuff, you know, uh, Matt Sweet uh, having a bit of a, a chin wag with McC- McCoy is so. Um, Bonkers. He's so quirky. <laughs> yeah, he, he, love it. You know, looking back on it after all these years, you know, I know he's, he never appears very high up people's lists of favourite doctors or eras and stuff like that. But you have to admit, just his natural personality and his natural way of just who he is is perfect mm. as the character of the Doctor, isn't it? it, it oh, my, it just listen to him behind the scenes, not even in costume or, or anything like that. It's just... He's so good. He's great. Yeah, I was going to say he is. He's, he's just an absolute personality and just still full of just like so much energy, isn't he? Yeah. Have you have you watched any of the behind the sofas yet? Uh, not the behind the sofa. The only oh, the only other two that I watched, those. yeah, is uh, the Doctor's Table, which was him and uh, Sophie, uh, Bonnie Langford, and somebody else. Um, yeah, the guy from Paradise Towers. Oh, that's name. it. Yeah, uh, Clive something. Um, those guys just reminiscing and having a chat about when they were making it and stuff. That was quite. That was quite cool. Um, and then, did you see the convention footage as well that was on there? Um, that was kind of cool. No, what what convention footage? I can't remember. Yeah, so it was like a, like a montage of um, different uh, uh, conventions that they've appeared at and stuff. It was yeah, that was kind of cool. Oh um, no, I'm seeing that. Uh, but no. the behind the sofa stuff. I'm wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll get on to that next because that's they're normally the best. Well, these are, features, I think these yeah. are the best yet because Colin and Peter are hilarious. They're really, really funny. And um, Peter's so grumpy. He's so, <laughs> but in a funny way. He's just like he's like a grumpy old man and, and uh, Janet Field is just telling him off all the time <laughs> and taking taking the mickey out of him. Um, you're going to love those behind the sofas, mate. I, I had a bit of a treat, actually, because I thought I'd sort of more or less watch the, most of the special features. Um, I don't remember the convention stuff, so maybe there is still bits I haven't seen. I mean, there is so much on it. It's like a mm. gold mine. Um, in fact, there is still loads I haven't seen, but um, I've watched all the sort of main, you know, like the ones I always go for. But, yeah, it was a treat because I was – I thought there's a documentary on there called Here's the Future, which I thought was the Doubt and the Bannermen making of, which is new to the set. So I'd watched that, and I thought, oh, that was really good. 
And then I went to put the last disc in and I saw a feature on there called Here's the Future. And I was thinking, oh, what's that then? And um, it's actually a brilliant, like, I think it's about an hour long documentary about the whole of season 24, talking to like Andrew Cartmel, McCoy, Bonnie, just all about mm. the trials and tribulations of that season. And I, it was just a real treat because I thought I'd done all the sort of main special features that I hadn't seen before, all the new stuff. And it was just like this extra documentary <laughs> that I'd overlooked. And uh, it's brilliant. It's such a good, it's like, I was just enthralled by it, you know. Just, yeah, just, I think, yeah. Uh, they were the they were those were the two new ones announced, weren't they? The making of Delta, and here's to the future. Yeah, here's to the yeah. future. Future. Yeah, I'd sort of got them mixed up in my mind that they were the same thing. I don't know why. So it's like a, this extra bonus feature that was there suddenly that I could watch, which was really cool. Uh, <laughs> gonna have that tune stuck in my head now for the rest of the day. <laughs> it's a cracking season, though. A lot of people are not into it, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a good one. It's found a bit, a bit of uh, new love now, isn't it? Which, I, mm. which is cool. Yeah. yeah. I've not done anything else, Doctor Who, dude. Nah. Yeah. Me either. <laughs> right then. Based on that, I think it might be review time. Indeed. What we got this week, bud? Yeah. So yeah, we're drifting back to the Matt Smith era and the final with his first season, actually. Uh, so we got the Pandorica opens and the Big Bang. There was a goblin, or a trickster, or a warrior, a nameless, terrible thing soaked in the blood of a billion galaxies, the most feared being in all the cosmos. It's about the Doctor. He's in trouble. I need to find him, and I need to show him this. The Pandorica. What is it? box, a cage, a prison. It's a fairy tale, a legend. It can't be real. If it is real, it's here and it's opening. Anything that powerful I know about it, why don't I know? Everything that ever hated you is coming here tonight. You can't win this. You can't even fight it. What do we do? The Pandorica. More than just a fairy tale. Your world has visitors. You're all barbarians now. What's in there? What could justify this? There are cracks, cracks in time. There's going to be a huge explosion in the future on one particular day. And tonight, he's going to need your help. Science will What could you possibly be? When I was a kid, I had an imaginary friend. The Raggedy Doctor. My Raggedy Doctor. He wasn't imaginary. He was real. There were cracks. Through some we saw silence and the end of all things. The universe is big, it's fast and complicated, and sometimes impossible things just happen and we call them miracles. I could do with a ridiculous miracle about now. Silence, Doctor. Silence will fall. Indeedy. <laughs> Who is that voice? <laughs> the Pandorica Opens, part one. That was broadcast on the 19th of June, 2010. And it was written by The Moth Bag, directed by Toby <laughs> Haynes, 
and stars Matt, uh, Karen and Arthur as usual for series five. And then part two, that was, that went out on the 26th of June, uh, all written, directed and starred the same peeps. And the synopsis for this one, so part one for the Pandora. So a Van Gogh painting ferried across thousands of years, offering a terrifying prophecy, a message on the oldest cliff face in the universe and a love that lasts a thousand years. In 102 AD, uh, Romans, uh, England, Romans' terrible uh, forces gather in the heavens. The fates are closing around the TARDIS. The Pandorica, which contains the most dangerous threat in the universe, is opening. Only one thing is certain. The Pandorica will open and silence will fall. And then the synopsis for part two is, The Alliance has trapped the 11th Doctor in the Pandorica. The TARDIS has exploded with with Rither inside. Rory has shot Amy in and the... Oh, God. The Alliance has trapped the 11th Doctor in the Pandorica. The TARDIS has exploded with River inside. Rory has shot Amy and the cracks have swallowed everything but the Earth and the Moon. The fate of all existence lies in the hands of a little girl who still believes in stars. Series 5, dude. To close it out, Ooh. what do you reckon to these two? Oh, it's got a lot going on, hasn't it? A lot going <laughs> on in this two-parter. You know, Moffat's thrown in everything, including the TARDIS kitchen sink in this one. Um, I've got to say, I, I watched both parts yesterday, and uh, I thought this was epic. Um, it was so much more epic than I remembered. It's just got everything in it. And um, I thought it was bonkers. I thought it was very typical Moffat. And um, I loved it. I loved it from start to finish. I thought it was a great two-part. I loved how, like, it tied in lots of elements from from Series 5. Moff- it felt like Moffat was right at the top of his game. The writing is beautiful. It's, it's funny. It's moving at times. Uh, it's got action. It's still... The production values still look fantastic. Um, it, 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 yeah, I just, just really enjoyed it. And I was surprised really, because I remember watching it back when it aired back in 2010 and liking it, but not being like blown away by it by any means. I remember sort of thinking, I think, I think the part two at the time confused me. I, I wasn't used to Moffat's timey wimey stuff at that point, you know? So I was a bit like, I remember like the big bang just, yeah, I, it was fun, but what what happened? Why was the Doctor everywhere? I remember I, I was confused by it. but So I haven't really gone back and watched this. It's It's been a long time, actually, since I watched this two-parter. Uh, years. In my, I, I think I've watched it probably once since Ed. So it was a really pleasant surprise how much I enjoyed it, I think. You know, I was expecting to like it because I remember thinking, yeah, it's good, but I just thought it as a conclusion to, to series five, I think it was fantastic. And, um, I just couldn't get over how good the cast were as well. And I mean, everybody like not just Matt, I mean, Matt's on fire, but everybody like Karen, Arthur, Alex Kingston, I think this might be the best river song story. She's brilliant in it. She's, she's not quite, she's not been written quite as that quite over top river that we get later on. She's more serious in this. Like the bit at the end of Big Bang when she's alone with the Dalek and she, she says, say it again. 
and she's really serious looking down the lens of the camera. I was like, wow, River, you are you're really cool. <laughs> and I mean, there's, you know, a lot of so I like River, but a lot of times she is written to be a bit annoying. But I just thought even River was fantastic in this story. Um, so, yeah, I really liked it. And I, what surprises me is how much is thrown in. And yet it didn't feel crowded. It felt so. We, I mean, you get Daleks, you get Cybermen, you get Romans, you get Sontarans. Um, you get Vincent van Gogh, River Song, uh, Dorian. Uh, you, you get all this stuff thrown in. And that's a lot. And I thought for Moffat to manage to make this like feel like everything has time to breathe, there are some beautiful scenes in this. So you've got all that stuff going on. But then you get lovely moments, like the scene between Amy and Rory, when he <laughs> that bit where he shoots her at the end is, is just heartbreaking because you really feel... Rory trying to fight the fact he's actually an Auton. Um, so you get really lovely moments like that where she can't work out why she's crying and stuff. It's I, I was just really impressed with it. And um, I liked it before, but my God, I absolutely love this two-part now. I think it's a great end to Series 5. Okay. What do you reckon? Thumbs up from you then. Okay, so... Huge thumbs up, yeah. Yeah, you've got to have your thinking caps on or your concentration glasses on Yeah, for some of this one. Crikey. I think this was the first time that we thought, bloody hell, Moffat, he he likes his timey-wimey... He's letting loose. Yeah, he's letting loose, yeah. It's not too bad, to be honest with you, because some of it's explained as you go through the story. Especially in part two, where the doctor's just zipping around time using the vortex. When you're seeing that happen, you're like, what the bloody hell's going on? Yeah. And then it's not until later on in the museum where you see it from the other side, like they're all in the museum together. And he's like, oh, yeah, hold on, be back. And then he goes and does something, comes back. And they're like, but what about the Sonic? Oh, yeah, hold on. So you do see it from both sides, which is kind of cool. But that's not too bad. But. Uh, the story as a, as a whole is very, very good. It's really good Doctor Who storytelling. Mm. Potentially at its finest because it's got a real great combination of all the stuff that makes a good Doctor Who story. So it's got the time travel. It's got the huge amount of risk. All the enemies are there. It's got a little bit of a love story going on with Amy and Rory and the heartbreak of Rory early on. Mm. Um, you know, all that stuff. So it's it feels very... Really cool, just great science fiction television wrapped up in a nice Doctor Who sort of thing. But it is a little bit of a... I'm not going to say a cop-out, because it doesn't feel like it was rushed. So the ending could very easily be perceived as just a bit of a cop-out, because essentially, with the TARDIS um, exploding, it's wiping out the universe... And the Doctor's plan is to fly the Pandorica into the heart of the explosion of the TARDIS and remove himself from reality, thus resetting everything. Yes. Uh, So that feels like a giant reset button. However, it's normally when you don't see it coming and in the last five minutes of a story, they hit the reset button. You're like, everything that built up to that point is now just doesn't seem very consequential or worth it because you've just hit the reset button because you haven't been able to write a decent ending whereas this it does feel like it was a bit more planned in 
Like mm. that was the overall plan. The doctor knew that that was going to happen. And so when that does happen, everything returns to normal. Uh, the um, the Auton version of Rory gets re- erased from history and then the proper Rory gets restored and everything's kind of back to normal. But it does feel slightly still... Maybe, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing because we know that the Mothbag loves to do the very wide story arcs and stuff. So by doing it this way, it does kind of close out Series 5 nicely, I guess. Mm. Puts a nice little pin in it at the end and we don't have loads of leftover baggage to go through with Series 6 onwards and stuff. So actually, yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Um, but overall, it's a great story. Yeah, I'm glad you've, no, I'm glad you've said that, actually, because... You know, it is a reset. It's one of the things I noted at the end. I was like, whoa, it is a massive reset button at the end, which would normally really annoy me. And I thought, it doesn't bug me at all because I I think it's been written really well. But I couldn't work out. I thought it should bug me, and I couldn't work out why it didn't. But I think you've just answered that for me because, like you said, it's not just a, oh, we've got five minutes to the end of the episode, we need to wrap this up, oh, this happens and everything goes back to normal. Like you said, it feels like it's planned, and I guess in this type of story, there isn't really any other way out. (laughs) So I think think you make a good point there, and I think that's probably why it doesn't bug me. Whereas in other stories where, uh, I think Journey's End of the TARDIS, does that have just a big reset? I can't remember. Other stories when they just literally get, they're getting like right to the end of the episode, we need to wrap this up now this happens everything's fine um so i think you're right i think it's because it's just woven in nicely it, it doesn't try and hide the fact it's a reset button it's written into the story the doctor sort of almost says i've got to do this to to put everything back how it was before um because did we get that in what's the one that we, we reviewed just a couple of episodes ago the um tenant one uh sound of the drums last of the time lords see that had a big reset button at the end didn't it which yeah that's... kind of wasn't as uh i wouldn't say worked quite as well as this one because like you said this is woven into the story isn't it yeah that's what i mean it's the uh that last one before yeah when we got to last of the time lords that felt like it just came out of nowhere towards the end of the episode and you didn't really feel like it was a you know you know the the kind of age old thing that makes some stories really cool where the doctor's always got a plan even when stuff is going going to pop the doctor always seems to know he's always a step ahead and Mm. even if the consequences are quite you know quite harsh he still knows that ultimately hold on if everything hasn't worked i've got this thing up my sleeve that's what it that's what it felt like in this story at the end of the big bang it felt like the doctor knew that if stuff wasn't going to work, then, you know, this was always on the plan anyway. And you can yeah. see that in his performance. You could see that uh, he just wasn't looking forward to having to do that. It was coming. You could, sort, you could see it coming. With Last of the Time Lords, it was, uh, right, well, we've done all the cool stuff. We've done all the, all the action stuff. We've done all that. Uh, we, we can't do anything else. There's no other way. We've written the master to be so uh, so good and his plan is so bulletproof to a degree that we can't really do anything else. The only route out is to do a bit of a reset. So that's what mm. that one felt more like a like the writers had written themselves into a corner in that 
it was such a good story and the master's plan was so good. Mm. Not really much of an option. Because um, to finish that, sorry, on a bit of a tangent here, but the only way that you could finish that without having a reset button was to somebody else to arrive, take down the master, save the day, um, or the doctor to somehow... But that would have then diluted all of the um, really dark and um, sort of harsh harshness that the master had done up to that point it would have mm. just been like a, oh that was all for nothing because at that point in that story you really felt like that the master was about to accomplish plan a yeah because he's on the top of his game all the way through isn't he all yeah. the way through so to have him be yeah. defeated at the end would have been like well that kind of dilutes what you're doing anyway this one like we were like we're saying it does feel like it was um you could you could especially as you got halfway through part two you could just see it coming and coming. You know, you could, you could feel that this was something that the doctor has to do. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, um, a bit like the Pertwee story that we reviewed, Planet of the Spiders, recently. The doctor knows that the only way to to stop this is to have a bit of a sacrifice going mm-hmm. on and a little bit of a very actually. Now I'm thinking about it. Really similar performances. John Pertwee was very when the 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 monk says to him you need to do this his face changes his yeah, demeanor changes fear. yeah yeah and he 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 realizes that he has to do that sacrifice it's a very similar thing actually where matt smith's performance is quite similar when they're locking him into the pandorica that's one um that's the first kind of thing that's like that in terms of performance where he knows he's going to be trapped in there for god knows how long but he accepts it because he knows it's, he has to do it. And then again, towards the end where she tells, uh, I think River says to Amy, he's going to fly the Pandorica into the, into the TARDIS and stuff. And he's like, has that nice little moment, that nice little scene with Amy. Yeah. Uh, and then he's off. So yeah, in terms of endings, I mean, the start's really good. The start is brilliant. The start is really, really good. And then the ending's good. Um, there's a couple of little dips in the middle, but overall, dude, yeah, can't really complain too much. I think um, if it wasn't like that, I think the moth would be criticised for not going all out for the finale. So, yeah. I think that's the thing. I think I can tell that Moffat's having an absolute ball. Red wine, this. two in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More than likely. Yeah, no, I, I just feel like Moffat is just, he's got the show, it's his first season, and he's just really going for it. Uh, in this story but his writing is um is really good i think in series five i i think he's right on top of his game and the ideas that are coming out of moffat's brain at this point whether it's down to the red wine or not um it is brilliant i mean the tard is stuck at the heart of the star and and uh and the, just little moments so he'll say like rory will say like why it's the doctor why are we if if the universe is ended why are we still here and he's like we're like the embers the light just at the end of it you know these the writing from Moffat um you know at this point anyway I think is is just fantastic and he gives it a really fairy tale feel as well um but it's a dark fairy tale I mean the the doctor being put in the Pandorica man you know, Matt's oh Matt, I could just go on forever about how great Matt is. But when he's being dragged along and you see his feet scuffing in the in the dusk as they're putting him in there, um, it's just is I mean it is dark, but it's just fantastic. I love the whole Pandorica thing. 
that box. It just looks amazing. Um, I was surprised how well the effects and, and like the actual style stood up as well, because mm-hmm. I remember thinking it was great at the time, but things do date, you know? I mean, this is like 11 years ago. And it's still, you know, like when uh, Amelia touches the box. No, actually, maybe it's the Doctor. I can't remember. There's a bit when the box is all lighting up and the and the segments around the side are s- slightly moving. And I thought, God, this just looks fantastic. You know, the production values, the lighting, you know, the way that Amy's house is lit and everything about it just looks like r- a really classy production. It hasn't dated or, or aged badly at all, I don't think. Like even the s- effects on the roof with the sun, everything about it just looked really good still. Um, yeah, and I think the weird thing is, I don't know if it's because I was in the right mood for it, um, and I think some people, because of the timey-wiminess of it, would perhaps not enjoy, you know, especially the second part. Um, but I think if you are in the mood for it, and if you do sort of pay attention to it, I think it's quite a rewarding two-part. But I could see that the casual viewer might have, by the sort of the middle of part two, thought, what is going on in this, and, and, and given up. I don't I don't think this two-part is for, like, everybody, and maybe it's not for the sort of casual viewer, if you like. But the bits that I found boring at the time, so when it aired in 2010, the bits that I probably was thinking, oh, come on, it's getting a bit slow, were probably the bits that I enjoyed uh, this time round. So the yeah, scene great. between Amy and Rory, um, the scene when Amy's talking to the Doctor inside the Pandorica when she thinks he's about to go off and, and die. I mean, th- those sort of slow scenes, which I think on a first watch, you know, back in 2010, I was a bit like... Yeah, 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 come on, get on with it. <laughs> this time, I was really involved in it, and especially with Amy and Rory's relationship. Uh, I think because we've got to know them throughout the series, I was really, really um, sort of, I was really, really enjoying that sort of relationship to the two of them, which I probably wasn't so into back at the time. In, in other words, you know, like the bit when Amy is, uh, sorry, Rory is absolutely gutted that he's waited 2,000 years, and she doesn't remember him. And uh, that that yesterday I found really like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I felt really sorry for Rory, which I don't remember sort of being so emotionally involved back when this first day aired. Maybe because I hadn't got to know them so well. I don't know. I remember sort of thinking, oh, that's sad. But <laughs> it really got to me. I was like, oh, poor Rory, look, he's heartbroken, you know? And the way the doctors and him are sort of having this sort of laddie, conversation the doctor doesn't want to tell him that you know and all that stuff um i think i just really appreciated how well the written and how brilliantly it was performed yesterday Mm -hmm. but as i said it's because of the timing white minutes it's this episode is it's not one i'd say oh you know watch dot two before you you gotta watch this one because it it is easy to get lost you do have to pay attention to it and um i was just so in the mood for it i i I didn't look at my phone once i honestly didn't i really got engrossed in the story and watched it from start to finish. I didn't drift off. And I think that's the, that's the danger, especially in part two. If you start, if you just check your phone for a bit and you haven't seen this episode before, you'd come back and you'd be like, hang on, the doctor was dead on the floor when he was, what's happened? Mm, you know what I mean? Yep. You have got to pay attention to it, but, but yeah, that and like the scenes at the wedding at the end, which um, are f- so fun. <laughs> like you know and a bit emotional as well aren't they like mm-hmm. the, you know that amy's dad poor old amy's dad so i've forgotten about that i forgot that we actually get to see amy's parents and she's like she starts saying she stands up doesn't she She starts saying about 
my imaginary friend and everyone's at the dinner party going, oh, God, oh, no, no, not yeah. this again. <laughs> and you, it's really funny. And then he turns up, you know, and you can see it coming, but it's just a brilliant moment. And then the disco at the end with Matt's doing that crazy dance. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, this is just so good, you know. And the, I'll tell you, by the time it ended, I was just in, I was just so in love with it. You know, when, they, when they, he thinks they're, they're saying goodbye, they're like, I think it's time to say goodbye. Yeah, I think it is. Amy opens the door. She's like, bye. And it's, it's like, you think she's saying bye to Doctor? No, she's saying bye to, to, you know, her old life. She's off. They're off to have adventures. That ending just is superb. Great. Yeah. Really it really good. Left, lifts you up. You know, it really left me on a, wow, loved that mm-hmm. by the time it finished. Yeah, yeah. There was one thing in the end I wasn't too much of a fan of. We'll come oh. on to that, but... um. I bet I know it's, it's probably the one thing that I didn't like as well. The one thing that yeah. really annoyed me, and it is at the end. I bet it's the same thing. Yeah, you mean Amy and what she says to the doctor a couple of times. <sighs> yeah, I thought, why? Why? That's like, the only she's thing that's not can... married. She wouldn't be, she's trying to get off with the doctor at her own wedding. I thought, now Moffat, come on. You've done a brilliant script up to now. Don't throw in these silly, I was the same. So unnecessary. I was confused by that, mate. I will be honest with you as to what the purpose of that was, because yeah. I think at that point in the relationship between the doctor and Amy, he had very much there. Well, very quickly on, there was a, obviously a connection there, but I think at this point it kind of felt like they were almost like soulmates in a way mm. and the best of friends and to bring that back, it just, I'm just confused as to what the perp, what Moffat was trying to achieve with the character progression at that point, not just in the story, but those two together, because she kind of uh, marches up to him when he first, you know, I think she says, oh, you will, you know, absolutely be kissing the bride or something. Yeah. In front of everybody. And I thought, why? Why would she say that? Why? Why have we? Why have we rewound time, and have now gone back to the point where instead of Amy viewing the Doctor as a great friend, why she now views him again as a kind of love interest, like she fancies him? Yeah. And then in the TARDIS, she's like, "We haven't had a snog in the rose bushes yet, or something." Right in front of Rory, and although they kind of get their act together towards the end of that era. It goes back to a few times where she does treat Rory like absolute poo-poo at times. Mm. Mm. And the thing is, he doesn't do anything. That's frustrating because he's right there. He's standing right there. And she's just got married to him. And she's saying that, you know, and I'm, and, and that's, that's the bit that confuses me the most. It's like, is she saying it because... In the instance where the doctor turned around and said, actually, I fancy you back. Would she then turn around to Rory and say, sorry, mate, you know, I really fancy him. So you're out of the picture. Mm. So is she expecting the doctor to say that? Or is she just saying it because she fancied him once and she wants to get it out of his system and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I have to admit, it, it did irk me, and it was it, it stood out as well because, as I said, I had enjoyed this so much, and it is such a little thing, but it's such an unnecessary little thing. And like you said, it's not just one line. I think I could have forgiven it 
if it had just been that bit when she first sees him, maybe she got carried away. You know, the doctor's mm. alive and the emotions are running high. I might have been able to overlook it, but she does it again, like two minutes later she, when they're in the TARDIS, doesn't she? Like you said, oh, we're going to have a, a fumble in the bushes or something. I'm like, oh, no, 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 Moffat. What? Where's this coming from? She's just got married. And the problem is it irks me because I quite like Amy Pond, but I don't like that side of her character. And it's it, it just, yeah, just slightly... Um, it slightly puts a bad mark on the character for me with, with those two lines. So it, it did annoy me. Like, it just was just wasn't needed at all. It's not funny. It doesn't add anything to the story. It certainly doesn't add anything to Amy's character, you know, because it, it kind of takes away all that good stuff, uh, you know, that, that she, when she finally sees Rory, because she, she finally remembers him. She's like, Williams. He's like, what? Rory Williams. That's who you are. I mean, that magic moment. You know um, that she's remembers this guy, and, and she realizes what he's done. And again, another beautiful scene when she's looking in the museum and sees the Centurion picture on the wall, and she realizes it's uh, Rory. What a great scene! You know, you like Amy really loves Rory at that point. She's like, "Look what he's done for me," and it just sort of throws it out the window a little bit. Exactly, mate. That's exactly the point because the way that Moffat had wrote that those two up to that point it's like the the age old love story kind of thing where in the previous episode or whatever it whenever it was when Rory gets dragged through the crack in the wall and as a result of that he gets erased from history so Amy she she doesn't even know that he exists yeah which is heartbreaking but the doctor just begs her to kind of cling on to any kind of memory sort of thing and then there's a couple of scenes which which are done really well where she's like I'm crying or I'm happy and I don't know why. So there's something that's, there's a seed there somewhere that hasn't quite been uh, wiped out. And it's, be- it's really, really lovely stuff. So that's, uh, that's one thing that um, at times anyway, the moth does share with Russell, that kind of really lovely character uh, moments, I guess. Not quite as, as good as RTD in my opinion, but you know, shares those lovely little moments at times. Then when you get to the end and she's saying that stuff to the doctor, it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's kind I of erases it's the, the feeling. It's funny, isn't it? But it's not hitting the mark. No. But, and it's a shame because yeah. most of the time Moffat's humour does hit the mark for me, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Or at least yeah. in series five. I think he, he throws you some great lines in this, which you can go from sort of almost tearing up to, to smiling and laughing in the next minute. It's some great moments. Um but yeah, that's that didn't land, and that mm. at the read through, I think he should have said, you know what, I'm probably going to take that line out. Yeah, because you feel really sorry for Rory. <laughs> yeah, for a start. Uh, yeah, it's just a head scratcher moment, isn't it? It's mm. one of those weird kind of. Maybe listener, if you've got an opinion on this, maybe we're if if there's something that's more involved here, and you're like, actually, she says that because then do let us know, but. Yeah, at the moment it's just a, a, a weird one, but um, uh, but Karen Gillan she does have a good one. I mean, they all have a good one in this two parter, but Karen Gillan has a good a good performance across both parts, um, other than that little ending bit. But um, for the most part, uh, she has a good one. There's no complaints because there are episodes a bit like with Rose at times, and you know there are episodes where she's a lot worse than that. <laughs> um, oh yeah, you know, <laughs> so not too bad in this one. She's all right. No, she is good. I was worried, actually, because at the start, 
I was worried she was getting nothing to do. You know, when they first go underneath Stonehenge, which is awesome, by the way, mm. there's a lot of her walking around holding a, you know, a, a, a burning stick. I thought, oh, I, I think Karen <laughs> looks bored. <laughs> like, because obviously, you know, River's there. So the Doctor River are kind of doing all the fun stuff. She's kind of just walking around. But, but that, that, thankfully, yeah, that doesn't last very long. Once you bring in Rory, it all, it all kind of comes together. And she is good in it, I have to say. I mean, she does give a great performance, Karen Gillan, in this. And so does her, is it her cousin or who plays Amelia, the young Amy? It's her she niece gives, or cousin or something. Yeah, yeah, she gives a great performance. And um, the scene I loved, actually, was at the end when Matt's being thrown, well, the doctor, sorry, is being thrown. He thinks he's dying. He's being thrown back through different moments in his, you know, timeline. And he, he goes to see young Amelia. And he's saying, you're going to wake up and you're going to have parents. And the joy that Matt manages to betray in his face and the sadness at the same time is absolutely it's such a beautiful scene. But, um, yeah, that was a great, great choice to get her to play young Amy because she looks like Amy, obviously, because they mm-hmm. are slightly related. Um, and she's a great little actress, isn't she? She's brilliant in the scene she's in, like the museum scenes and stuff. It's, it's really, really good. I, I love the bit actually. I don't know if I noticed this before. I love the bit when Matt, the, the doctor, see, I keep calling Matt the doctor. He is the doctor. Um, I love the bit when he goes back and gets a drink for her, when he's jumping around using the time, time vortex manipulator. It's just a lovely little moment. He's like, oh, there's your drink. Right. Come on. We've got to go save the universe now. Lovely. Love moments like that. Yeah. That's Matt Smith, though, rocking and rolling, oh, right? He's so he's, good, isn't he? He's brilliant. And I tell you what, he's. In this, he switches from these really funny, almost comedic scenes to really laying down the law. Mm. Like Matt, Matt can really handle those that jump. You know, I mean, Tennant was good at this as well from going to from fun to serious. I mean, Tennant could be quite shouty, but I, 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 I dare I say, I think Matt might even just be slightly better. He's just he's so good at delivering a speech, isn't he? The scene on the Brilliant. the rock when he's like shouting up at the aliens, he's absolutely on fire. But, but not only that, he's very, there are moments when he has to be serious with like Rory and he really has to tell him straight. And just the way Matt delivers the lines, it's great how he goes from funny to, to listen, mm-hmm. we've got to do this. I think there's a bit where he kind of does that when he says about, I've got to go like, you know, I've got to go and stop the TARDIS burning up or whatever. And he really switches from fun to, to this is what's happening and you just feel yeah. like he's take, he takes command doesn't he this is what i love about him he he's a real screen presence and he really takes command when he needs to mm-hmm. um yeah matt's on fire first season as well he's absolutely nailing it yeah. as the doctor he's incredible actually and that speech when he jumps up onto the rock towards the end oh, of part one brilliant. amazing however yeah we have had someone else do that speech have we? which is pretty amazing Still a minute, because I am talking. 
The question of the hour is, who's got the Pandorica? Answer. I do! <laughs> the question, who's coming to take it from me? Come on! Look at me! Oh, no plan, no backup, no weapons. Off it down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything to lose. So if you're sitting up there in your little silly spaceship with all your silly little guns and you've got any plans of taking the Pandorica tonight, just remember who's standing in your way. Remember every black day I ever stopped you. And then, and then, do the smart thing. Let someone else try first. <laughs> Wowzers, what's that from? Yeah, I think that was at Gallifrey One. I think That's brilliant. One year. I've, I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's pretty badass. That's McCoy great. Yeah. But yeah, oh. Matt Smith is does deliver that amazingly, of course. <laughs> oh, but, it's uh, just giving him a run for his money there. But that that was yeah. amazing. I've never heard that before. That was brilliant. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, but um, that speech does have a it it does cement Matt's doctor as you know uh, not to be not to be messed with, basically. Yeah. Which um, uh, before we get on to one part of the story, actually, we've spoken about um, Karen and Matt. Um, but yeah, Arthur Darvel also had a, a cracking. Because um, normally he gets, not necessarily sidelined, but he normally gets left to the back of the pack when they're doing stuff that requires any kind of important character stuff. It generally revolves around Amy and the Doctor and Rory's there. Hate to say it, in some stories he's a bit of just comedic relief, a bit of light relief at times. Yeah. But in this one, he has, uh, he's funny, he's emotional. He kind of he sacrifices himself, like the idea of the lone centurion and just his absolute dying love for Amy, where although he doesn't realise what's going on when he's an auton, the doctor puts it a nice way. He's like, oh, that's just software talking, you know, that, mm. that sort of stuff. But when he decides to stay behind and the doctor's like, look, you're you're an auton, you made of plastic, you can't sleep or, or anything. You're going to drive yourself insane for over 2000 years. You're just going to be you know by yourself he's unwavering he's just like yep that's fine uh so yeah i think arthur darville just he, he for me this is one of his best stories from from his era he's very very good yes yeah, so it's it's a brilliant performance from arthur um that scene you talked about as well is another one that kind of it's actually the the again a, a tribute to moffat's writing actually because it's just you're going along with it and it's just a bit you think oh he's gonna go insane yeah he's gonna wait two thousand years and then the doctor no no then rory says but will she be safer if i stay and it's just that emotional stab at the heart because the doctor does really answer but the answer obviously is all in matt's face it's of mm. course so uh, so arthur uh, rory stays um it's uh, yeah it's a great performance from him he, he's absolutely bang on the money throughout this whole two-part uh story arthur his performance does not waver at all he's mm -hmm. he's he's funny when he needs to be like that lovely scene when the doctor <laughs> first sees rory and he's like, I'm missing something. I'm missing something big. And he hasn't quite twigged. Hang on. What are you doing here? <laughs> you know, a great scene between those two. Um, mm -hmm. And then the emotional stuff he has to do with Amy. Um, 
just brilliant and then the funny stuff at the end with the wedding like why are you crying is it is it because you're happy mm-hmm. lovely throwback to the scene earlier and she's like no i'm sad he's like oh yeah, yeah all that funny <laughs> stuff he's, he's a bit like matt he's really good at delivering the funny and the emotion mm-hmm. um and it's a yeah it's a great performance from arthur darville yeah actually and they can yeah. be a good tag team as well they're a great team yeah. aren't they yeah. The, yeah. Uh, matt and arthur yeah really really cool but they're fun together yeah yeah but just really enjoyable to watch Arthur in this one. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. And you really, you really feel for Rory, don't you? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know about you. Um, I did not see it coming that they were going to be autons. I, I didn't see it back in 2010 and I'd completely forgotten about it, believe it or not on this rewatch. So when he, when the guns come down at the end, I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot they're autons. Didn't see that coming at all. Uh, you know, great, great uh, bit of writing from Moffat. Mm. Did you see it coming? I mean, I no, genuinely didn't, and I've seen this before. It still surprised me. I was like, oh, yeah, right, he's an auton. Of course he is. So I'm like, wow, what a brilliant little twist bringing them in. Yeah, As if you I haven't got it. enough. Hmm. Yeah, and it was all part of this. Um, that's what I wanted to come on to, actually, because we do get not really used well, I would say, but we do get the roster of all the big monsters and aliens turn yeah. up don't we so yeah. the two main ones being or or any threat anyway would be the daleks and one cyber cyberman sentry who's in bits for a bit which is oh again a great cool. scene when that cyber helmet opens up and the skull pops out and yeah, yeah. Th- that thing is scary as well when it's a head and it's all the wires of its legs almost like a spider that's proper creepy stuff and i again had forgotten how good that was mm-hmm. you know yeah 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 it's all really good stuff and then i think obviously the autons are a a threat but it's really the the concept of it is is a lot better than what actually appeared on screen so the concept of this thing i think it's they're officially unknown officially known as the alliance right so yeah i think so it's all of them like the atraxi the jadoon the slitheen sycorax dalek you know the whole the whole shebang or most of them and uh so they all appear, don't they, in this one big scene where they all sort of materialise because you just see their f- ships for a while. And mm. then down by the Pandorica, they all open. It's basically a giant trap for the Doctor, So, which kind of circles round really cool because prior to that, uh, the Doctor has said to Amy and, and River, you know, inside here is like the most dangerous thing in the universe sort of thing and he's talking about himself because history kind of happens after he realizes what it is if that makes sense so it's all a massive trap this alliance of everybody all these aliens have uh, lured him there for the whole purpose of trapping him inside because they know uh the 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 prophecy or the visions of if you like that the tardis will destroy the universe so they trap him inside so that he can't pilot the TARDIS and all that shenanigans. So that's really cool. But the, the execution of it was just, but I totally get why though. It would have been absolutely bonkers to then have that part of the story where you've got all of these different aliens running around doing all that stuff. It just would have been too much. So I, lo- I love the concept, this alliance sort of stuff. And even the doctor's shocked by it. He's like, you're working together. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. And so that part of it's really cool. But what did you think to having all of these aliens, a massive big roster, some of them from the classic years as well, the Terraliptals, you know, some classic ones in there, uh, but they're not really doing anything. It kind of relies on the, 
on the A-stars, I guess, like the Daleks to do a little bit and Cybermen. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a lot going on. I, I think at the time when I first watched this, I might have been slightly disappointed that they they all turn up and you're like, OMG, this is epic. What the hell's going to happen now? And then, yeah, like by the time we go back to them, they turn to stone. Cool stone Dalek, by the way. Absolutely love that Dalek in the museum. I think that's a, a great way to do something different with the Dalek. Loved that. Um, no, uh, on a rewatch, though, I totally get why the Moffat did it. It would have got... This is what I mean. I think the episode needed to breathe, you know, with the scenes of Amy and Rory and everything else going on. I think on a rewatch, I, I totally get why they all turn up, but then we kind of got to get rid of them pretty quick. You, you, I think it would have got too messy um, if we'd have had all of them in it any more than they are. I think they're utilised well. I mean, I think the Cybermen's great, you know, that that one that's in pieces. I think that's really good, really scary. Um and yeah, just the appearance of them, I think, is enough. It, I, I, I think it works. Definitely works. Um, whereas on a first watch, I may have been a bit disappointed because you're like, oh wow, like what you know, you've got Cybermen, everything. It's it's pretty crazy. I'll tell you what I love about this though, um, is it seems series five seems really well plotted by Moffat. It seems to have a real structure to it, and the bit that impresses me more than anything, and I just love that. I mean. He ties in so much from his first season in this two-part, doesn't he? We get Churchill, Vincent van Gogh. He really brings together all the stuff that he's brought to his first season as showrunner. But the bit I love, and I love it because we were all, back in the day, people were saying, oh, was that a continuity error? Is But it wasn't. It was the Moffat being brilliantly clever and actually putting in a scene that would appear later. Is the bit when the Doctor goes back. So it's a scene from Flesh and the Stone, I think, when Amy's uh, got her eyes closed. The Doctor goes to comfort her. Uh, I can't remember if she's blind or whatever. It's the, the Angel the Weeping Angels one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's a scene when... So when that went out, there was a scene when the Doctor comforts her and people noticed, oh, he had his jacket on in that scene. And and yet he he didn't have his jacket a minute ago. Is that a continuity error? And there was all this speculation. And of course, we just assumed it was. We think, well, it's got to be because there's no way. How would that, how can that not be? No, it's the Moffat being brilliant mm-hmm. and say, and putting in a scene two or three episodes later where the doctor goes back. And that's why the doctor's wearing his jacket because he's actually, it's a different version of the doctor going and talking to Amy to comfort her. And I thought, I just love stuff like that, that he thought that through. You know, when he's in that story, he's like, right, I need the doc, you know, that's going to be a different doctor. So he's got to have his jacket on. It's going to be really subtle. And, you know, a few viewers will notice. And and I just thought that was brilliant. I just love the fact that this feels like the Moffat sat down and he's got a bit of a Moffat master plan for what he's going to do with season five. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's pretty much all working. I think he's he's really brought together loads of great elements um i mean just vincent van gogh doing that picture of the exploding tardis fantastic idea you know um and churchill and all that stuff uh, yeah it, ju- it just feels very well plotted and i i think that's the thing when <laughs> may have got his head a bit because in series six and seven obviously moffat comes up with some great ideas that don't always follow through and sometimes he takes way too long to give you answers to questions that he throws out there i think after this <laughs> Um, so even though we've still got a few questions by the end of Series 5, he does tie up a lot of things. And, uh, mm. uh, yeah, it, it just seems really well plied out to me. And I, I just loved stuff like that. The bit with the jacket and the angel 
episode. I just thought brilliant, absolutely <laughs> yeah, we, brilliant that he thought to do that. Yeah, I mean, we often mock the moth for. Um, I mean, in some cases, I think it's warranted. Where, especially as we go into series seven and some yeah. other bits later on in in Matt's era, the moth sometimes does create this sort of uh, additional weight of the story that weighs heavily on some of the episodes as you go through the later series and seasons. And it just feels like you just want him to um, loosen the reins a little bit on the Mm. big arc stuff because it does, you know, it does create a bit of pressure. But I think for something like this, though, as you've mentioned, it does work perfectly where even though we sometimes it's like, do we feel he's flying by the seat of his pants a little bit? And does he shoehorn things in? you know, to make things work and stuff like that. But you can clearly see that that's what you've, that scene you described where it's, he hasn't got his jacket on. Everybody went nuts because it was a continuity error, but it wasn't, it was just him in his head knowing that. Chuckling away thinking, I know what yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that sort of stuff is a stroke of genius in a way. Yeah. So in that respect, the way that Moffat does that stuff, can't really complain because it does add a really lovely kind of, uh, sphere around series five especially the way this ended mm. uh, and it doesn't you don't need to carry that weight over to series six and then seven and blah 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 so i'm totally with you on that mate i think the moth had such a great just he wrote it in such a great way not just because uh, not just the interactions between all the characters and stuff he had a really good one for that but also just the 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 details all the little details because it yes. must be difficult right it must be so hard and a lot of fans go nuts around certain writers for doctor who and how stories have been written and stuff like that but i tell you what if you put yourself in their shoes and you're working for the, for the bbc and they said right okay hired you as a writer go and do your thing it must be so difficult to not not just for something like doctor who because it's a little bit like Star Wars. Whenever somebody comes on to write uh, a, an episode of The Mandalorian or um, something, or you know, a new film or a book around Star Wars, there's this huge, massive expectation. Uh, thi- well, there's this huge, massive thing of, of rules that you have to play by. Right. Oh, I see. You yeah. see what I mean? So there's yeah. something called the Star Wars Story Group, which is run by a few people at Lucasfilm, and Whenever somebody writes a book, like I said, or anything, they have to run everything by them because you can't just say this person is on this planet at this time. You have to go back and say, well, does that planet exist at this time? Does this planet and its inhabitants, are they at war with somebody at that time? Are the Jedi here at that time? It's just huge. And Doctor Who, although not quite on the same scale, you still have to bear all of that stuff in mind. So it must be so difficult. And then to do all the timey-wimey stuff on top of it, and then yeah. do all the details on top of that that you just spoke about, and then write all of the character progression. So no wonder he hit the reset button at the end. <laughs> no wonder he just went down that route. So hats off to Mothman. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think he got a lot right in Series 5. I remember um, Matt Smith in an interview absolutely bubbling with excitement about what was coming up. He just said, um, he was talking about Moffat's writing. He was just saying like, the man's a genius. I've read the scripts to the final and I just, 
love it. I mean, I, I can't remember the words, but Matt was absolutely could not wait for people to see what was coming up in his first season because, you know, he was he just loved what the Moffat was coming out with and, and the ideas that were coming out. And the thing is, I suppose, in retrospect, um, when we move on to Series 6 and Moffat goes even more timey-wimey and he starts doing that a lot, so we kind of, like, we get a little bit frustrated because, well, we've seen all that timey-wimey stuff, Moffat. Give us a straightforward story and, you know, he starts doing stuff like that. I suppose we could throw him a bit of slack in, in retrospect because after Series 5, where he's got so much right, as a writer, he's probably thinking, well, how do I make, how, where do I go from here? How do I go bigger? Like, what do I do in Series 6? I've got to really pull everything out the bag now. So I don't know if I'm saying these peaks too soon. That's not really what I mean, but you, you get where I'm coming from. He's, yeah, yeah. When yeah. he gets to Series 6, which I think goes too much into the whole timey-wimey and gets confusing and it doesn't flow anywhere near as well as series five to me in terms of bringing strands together it feels very messy after yeah, this it does i think that's yeah. just moffat probably just really trying to <laughs> you know do bigger and bigger and get better and better but unfortunately he's sort of almost got like a i wouldn't say the perfect season but he's got an absolutely fantastic season under his belt so where does he go from there and it's difficult isn't it like you mm-hmm. said you know it's it's easy to baff, bash them off but when you've delivered a season like season five, it's hard to follow that, I think. And you try and go bigger and it doesn't always pay off, you know, which is why I think season six and seven perhaps have their issues. Mm. Uh, Because he's just trying to do the next big thing, isn't he? But, you know, but yeah, season five just seems to have just got it right to me. I love season five. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. And I I know I said season loads, which you hate, but, you know. No, Roger. Yeah. Uh, so yeah it, it's definitely got that freshness to it but also feels like the cast members have been doing it for years especially oh. matt it just feels like he's been the doctor for so long at this point but we have to remember it's his first it's his first series so he's great amazing, in this really. I, I love everything about matt's doctor in season five because i love the look the jacket you know the tweed jacket and bow tie which kind of um gets ditched doesn't it later we go for like this long coat and stuff and mm. but the look's great but his performance is great he's i said earlier about the finding the difference between you know fun and being serious which i always love in a doctor i think matt nails that and he he seems to really get the character in terms of you feel with matt's doctor that even though he's a lot of fun and he, li- and he likes to have fun. He loves fezzes and he's really, he's, there's a lot of joy in Matt's Doctor. You know, the way, like I said, the scene giving Amelia her drink, all these little fun moments. But you feel with Matt's Doctor that underneath all that, he's really carrying the weight of weight on his shoulders. And I, that's what I love about Matt's Doctor. He somehow betrays that, that underneath all this fun and joy of his Doctor, there is this, you know, thousand-year-old Time Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever age the doctor is, we lose track, you know, <laughs> a 900 year old time. You just, you really feel that weight on Matt's shoulders uh, in his performance, which is not easy to do. You know, the balance he, he gets is, is really good. I think. Yeah, totally. He is great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we wrap up, dude, um, we mentioned river, didn't we early on? Yeah, I, I will just, I yeah. will just say how great I thought river was in this. I, uh, yeah. Again, I probably sound a bit surprised because you know, rivers, can be a bit irritating in some stories. Actually, can uh, yeah. 
and that down to the writing, nothing down to Alex's performance, but sometimes she's written a bit too flirty and all the kissing, you know, a bit like the Amy scenario, it can get a bit much. But uh, she's brilliant in this. Uh, I think it's, well, I mean, it's a long time since I've watched some of the stories, but it's, I think it's one of Alex's best performances. She's really hitting the mark. And again, great scenes of comedy with Matt's doctor. That bit at the end when he sort of is not sure if he's accepted the proposal. Loved that. <laughs> that was funny. That was great. Mm. But then there's the serious scene when she's threatening the Dalek. She's really on fire in this. You know, everybody is. But yes, yeah, great, great story for uh, River. Yeah, I think. it's cool. Yeah, because she's got that still air of mystery about her. Yeah. Which yeah. is cool. And it's at the very end where it made people be like, ooh, what's going on here? Because I think she says something to the doctor like, we're getting close now to you knowing the truth or something. That's right. And that's when things are going to change, sort of thing. So you, you have that kind of. Ooh, what's what's going to go on here? So, but up to this point though, uh, and throughout this story, uh, Alex Kingston she does have a, a good a good one because she's got that badass kind of Lara Crofty. She's mm. like a mix of like Lara Croft and Indiana Jones, uh, sort of mixed in. You know, she's she's in prison, but she escapes. It's all really good, and then she's handy with the old with the old uh, pistol and stuff. And she's quite threatening, but she's also got obviously a soft spot for the doctor for obvious reasons. So she plays all that stuff really well. And in some stories, it gets a little bit too flirty and a little bit too uh, close to the knuckle. But there's none of that in this one. It's all fairly, they understand the stakes. So they forget that for a bit. And yeah, so she does have a good one. Yeah. She's got good chemistry with Matt, hasn't she? I mean, I love the Cleopatra stuff at the start as well. (laughs) It's just ridiculously over the top. And she, she, performs that really really well it's really funny um but yeah yeah it's good chemistry between those guys and i i really liked river in this one yeah, you know the bit where yeah. she tricks the guard and he's like holding a gun to a picture on the wall saying <laughs> you know it's just great moments like that from her in this one yeah yeah super moments that whole build-up at the beginning was really good oh it's excellent with isn't the it? painting yeah. from van gogh and uh, they're ferrying it across different moments in time for a couple of thousand years and it finally gets to the point where uh the oldest message in time, apparently these graffiti. Oh, the, yeah, the hello, yeah, brilliant. And he's like, you know, <laughs> that's the earliest bit of you know known communication. And she's like, well, you never answer your phone. So oh, what am I? Yeah. yeah, really cool. That's really what I mean. Cool lines like that, just great lines that made me smile throughout this. Yeah. Um, there's a bit I forget what the doctor says. There's a bit when he turns up to save her when you know when she's trapped in the TARDIS and keeps opening the door and repeat to a blank wall. Oh, and then, yeah, and yeah. then by the third time, the doctor's just leant against the door, and I, I can't remember what he says, but that's a lovely, brilliant scene between the two of them as well. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, some great yeah, stuff in it. Yeah, it's a great moments. Yeah, yeah. I just want to finish up on a couple of things. Uh, first of all, Murray's music, very, very cool throughout this one. Very good. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We really nice. We had a few moments, obviously, of um, Matt's theme. I am the doctor. We had a few of that. As expected, yeah, we wouldn't have been sick of it by then, though. It's oh, just oh, like yeah, the first yeah. thing, we probably would have still been loving it by then. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. but the yeah. rest of it was really cool, though. We had the uh, suspenseful bits when we needed it. We had there was it, 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 a good combo of like comedic music and suspenseful stuff, which was very cool. And then the, the usual theme, as you'd expect. So Murray's music was really good, and then secondly, it just looked really good, even for a, I think we mentioned a lot, uh, quickly earlier that. For a story that's now what eleven years old, 
yeah. I think 10, 11 years old. It still looks really good. Very good. It did. Yeah, I thought the production values were, were fantastic, actually. Um, I will just say with Murray as well, um, obviously it's easy to sort of look back and say, oh, he kept using that theme and stuff, uh, which he did. Um, but I remember like back in the day when this Series 5 was first airing, just really being impressed that Murray had mixed it up a bit because the music does feel different to Tenant's era. You've got this sort of more magical fairy tale vibe to a lot of it. And so the I Am The Doctor scene, when I first heard it, I thought it was just the best thing ever. I was like, dun, 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 this is amazing. Obviously, by Series 6, I was like, yeah, we've heard that one now, Murray. Uh, so, but he did. Back in the day, he really sort of, um, he'd obviously looked at the Moff- what Moffat was bringing the style of the, the look of the show changed, the look of the TARDIS changed, you got a new Doctor. And I think Murray really stepped up and, and, and gave us some really good new sounding music, um, although it went on to, you know, be a bit samey. To, but yeah, at the time, you really did, you know, think, right, this is changing, I'm going to change up. He really changed up. Mm-hmm. So hats off to Murray. Great music. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention, bud, before we get to scores? No, I don't think so. No, I think um, pretty much covered it. Um, I've just got Geronimo written on my pad for some reason. I think that's because um, I, I, the the scene when River says, oh, he sent a message, and she says, what does it say? And it's like the doctor's <laughs> off to his death, but he still puts Geronimo. Geronimo oh, yeah. Another great moment. Yeah, yeah. So, there is so many bits in this, which I think are great. <laughs> yeah, cool. I think it's me to go first. Yeah, you go I first. Believe. So I'm going to give this an 8.5. 8.5. Across the two parts. Yeah, what about you? Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to give it a nine. And um, I just want to quickly say to wrap up, I mean, I think the thing, this is very rewarding on a rewatch. Um, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed it when it went out back in 2010, but it didn't grab me because of all the time it wore me. I I remember just being lost by it. Um, But on a rewatch, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I just really got into it and um, I followed it easily enough. It wasn't anywhere near as complicated as I remembered it being. But uh, obviously it is easy <laughs> to lose track if you get distracted by your phone or whatever. But no, it's a great two-parter. Um, nine out of ten for me. Okay. The reason why I didn't go up to a nine, I was thinking about it, going up to a nine or potentially nine and a half, but some of the other stories that we've reviewed from the modern era are slightly better than this, in, in my opinion. So uh, Turn Left, oh, we yes, both gave classic. a nine. Human Nature, Family of Blood. Uh we both gave a nine for that. Um, and then what was the other one? So Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. Uh, I gave that a nine and a half. You gave it a nine. So uh, I'm kind of basing it off, you know, was it as enjoyable as those ones? It's not far off. It's really up there, not far off. So okay. it's, it's just below that for me. Yeah, 8.5. Yeah. Some good scores they did. Let's see what our listeners thought. They were going to kick off with our audio reviews as always. Sammy Satine is going to start them off. Hey, Gary and Adam. Sammy Satine here. So, the Pandora opens in the Big Bang. I love seeing Vincent, Dory and Winston Churchill and Liz Ten again. Also, I've been to Stonehenge. This has a fun vibe. It mostly sells as fun. And even though the end of the entire universe is extremely serious, it never really drops the fun vibe. I like the mention of the Draconians, the Jadoon, the Sontarans and other villains showing up. I have a few questions though. Do the other races hear the silence will fall too? And if they do, why do they dismiss it? Do they also not remember the silence? 
Also, aside from the, oh, but the doctor might bring back Gallifrey, why else did the silence have a vendetta against him? I give it eight Pandoricas out of ten. Love the speech at Stonehenge, by the way. See ya. Cheers, Sammy. And eight. Uh, Sammy makes a very good point there, actually, that for a, quite a dark story, it still has a lot of fun in it. I think yeah. that's that's bang on. That's why I like it. It's got a good mixture. Yeah, yeah. Good point there, Sammy. I'm sure there is a point to it and a bit more in-depth about the silence and stuff, but mm. yeah. We could probably talk for a few hours on Series 5. Yeah, oh, I reckon time, we could, yeah. yeah. But decent score from Sammy. Thank you very much. Moving on, this is Mr. Martin Arnold. Pandorica opens. It might as well have stayed shut because the Big Bang is a damp squib. I mean, it just boils down to this. I think Stephen Moffat is very ambitious. He's got a cinematic take on on his storytelling but his stories revolve around just clever conceits rather than good constructive plots now maybe that's because he fundamentally struggles with the way the show is formatted in the new era um i'm sure he'd disagree obviously he's clearly a capable you know tv writing dude but it just it just doesn't work for me because it just fails in resolution the big bang is just it doesn't work it just doesn't work Nothing is resolved in a way that, that's satisfactory. And it's, it's clever that you've got this retro storytelling. Oh, look, in that episode, that's what happened. And oh, look, that's what this is about. And oh, look, the big crack in my disturbingly um, knackered old house that I seem to live in with nobody else um, except my wedding dress is, uh, you know, is, is explained or, or not, except for the silence, which isn't. Um, I mean, it just, it just doesn't work. I didn't like Plastic Rory. Best Plastic Boyfriend Ever. Why does he need to be the last centurion, quote unquote? Why can't he just be Rory and step up and do the thing and be the character that, you know, the plot clearly wants him to be? He wants him to step up, not be the sort of henpecked um, partner of, of Amy. You know, it, it just it just doesn't work. I'm sorry to say. Um, I mean, I enjoy the season. I enjoy season six, even though I think in many ways it's worse. <laughs> it's all it's all Stephen Moffat. You can't get away from it. But, you know, I give it a 6 out of 10. The first part's got a decent idea. The second part, no, it doesn't work for me. But there you go. Cheerio. Oh, Martin. Oh, Martin, not a fan. Not Crikey, a, fan a 6. Mm. Martin not feeling that at all. No. Mm. Yeah. Not sure if I agree on the stuff with Rory. I think that I think Rory was written spot on for what the intention was, the intent of Roy's character leading up to this point and onwards, but hmm, not mine, not feeling that one. No. Not to say that your opinion or anything is wrong on mine, of course, I'd never say that, but yeah. Anyways, a six from Martin. Thank you very much, dude. Moving on, this is Mr. Joe Turner. The two-part finale to Series 5 is a mixed bag for me. I love the Pandorica Opens because it sets up things really well, and the ideas in it are so cool, especially the Pandorica prison for the most dangerous thing in the universe. Also, it's full of great moments. For example, when River is reading out to the Doctor which aliens have responded to the Pandorica's message, as well as the fantastic speech Matt gives towards the end of the episode. It is good at keeping the audience's attention because of how fast it moves from scene to scene, and it's incredibly sinister, particularly when River enters Amy's house that used to terrify me as a kid. Whereas the Big Bang is what lets this two parts down for me. Whilst I love how high the stakes are and the idea that Rory guided the Pandora for thousands of years, I feel it is too complex and would alienate some of the audience. 
In saying that, I feel over both episodes, the music plays a key role, contributing to the sinister atmosphere and adding to our emotions as a viewer. It is incredibly good. The Alliance is a cool idea, the main cast are fantastic and the wedding scenes are a good laugh. So overall, I'm going to give this episode, uh, I'm going to give this finale a 7.5 out of 10. Thank you. 7.5. Yeah, Joe, not uh, not a fan of the Big Bang either. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the second part letting it down. It sounds like you're in a nice place though, Joe. Birds chirping in the background and stuff. Hopefully you're in the garden. Yeah. We left that review. But yeah, thank you very much, Joe. Uh, moving on, this is Mr. Neil Campbell. How's it going, lads? So the Pandora opens and the Big Bang. I love Series 5. I really enjoyed it at the time. I watched the whole series again recently and I really enjoyed it again. Uh, I just think it's such a fun, fantastical and fairy tale like series and with regards to the actual finale itself it's carefully written it ties up so many intricate plot lines that were devised throughout the series and um it's so well acted uh, matt smith is on fire in this in my opinion especially you know when he's put into the pandorka you can hear like the the desperation in his in his voice you know as the doctor's being put into the pandorka itself uh, the scenes between him and Rory, you know, when he realises that Rory's alive again, are outstanding. Um, great humour. There's some fantastic um, music in this, especially the life and death of Amy Pond at the end of the Pandora Opens. And uh, do you know what? It's just a fantastic episode all round. And I, I, do you know what? I, to this day, I remember watching it um, before going out on the night of the town. Like, But um, yeah, great times. I'm going to give this a... Do you know I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. Cheers. A 9. Fantastic. A night on the town. That sounds good. It does sound good, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and you're right, Neil, as well. Matt Smith is on fire. It's undeniable. Yes. Uh, for this one, yeah. So, yeah, decent score there, Neil. Thank you very much, dude. And lastly, this is TARDISNet66. The Pandora Opus and the Big Bang is one of my absolute favourite length Doctor stories and my third favourite finale since the series came back. When I first watched it at the time, it was my favourite Doctor Who story for a long while. I love the way the story perfectly ties into the events of Series 5, and particularly into the character of Amy. I love how the story is framed as an epic confrontation in the first episode, or it's going to be flipped and become a focused character piece in the second episode, focusing on Amy's character and her stepping into adulthood. I also love the time travel, time-warming nature of the plot that seems confusing at first, but soon clicks together and makes sense by the end. I love the way the Doctor reboots the universe at the end, using the light from the Pandorica that restored the Dalek, and using the explosion from the TARDIS to transmit that light to all of reality. When you put it all together, it makes perfect sense and highlights the Doctor's intellect. But with a few misjudged lines of dialogue at the end aside, I think this is one of Amy's best stories. I give it. A 9.5 out of 10. Wowzers. A 9.5. 9.5 from TN. <laughs> One of Amy's best stories, apparently. Yes. Good, Actually, good, good. And he said about the timey-wimey stuff working. Well, it, it does seem complicated at first, but I think this is one of the, when you rewatch it, it's one of the less <laughs> complicated in terms of Moffat. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but one thing I forgot to ask you, and I'll quickly do it now while I remember. See, one thing that I never got, and I still don't quite understand is how the Doctor got out of the Pandorica because a future self lets him out, but you can't have a future self unless you've got out. So how does he get out? I've never really understood that. And that's, I think Moffat said it's like a paradox or something, but 
I still haven't got my head around that. I'm trying not to think too hard about it. Yeah, but don't he think about it. He gets yeah. out. He can't get out to give himself the Sonic because he hasn't got out yet. I don't know. That bit does. That bit messes with my head. Yeah, don't bother thinking about that, dude. No, all right then. Yeah, don't worry <laughs> about that. No, because I love it. Because when when it opens and Amy's in the Pandora, you're like, what the? <laughs> so you know, I lo- I just love that. I love that Moffat just throws in these surprises. So I'm not going to worry about it. Well, it's almost uh, the Moffat's almost admitting to the fact that this is going to be crazy because it's a couple of times uh, throughout the story where, uh, well, that scene where Amy come the Pandora opens, Amy's in there. She's like, "This is where it gets complicated." Yeah, and I love that. This is where it gets complicated, kid. Yeah, so it's almost the Moff saying to the viewer, "Like you're gonna have to put your phones down for this one." Yeah, it's gonna be a bit yeah. So that is cool. Some breaking news before we get on to the social stuff. In a cruel twist of irony, <laughs> throughout the whole time that we've been reviewing the Sarah Jane Adventures, next month the Sarah Jane Adventures comes to BritBox. Oh, some good news. Excellent. Some awesome news there. So um, <laughs> go back and listen to all of our reviews of the Sarah Jane stuff if you haven't, and, and then jump onto BritBox if you've got a sub for that. That's um, brilliant. So that's going to be cool. So Sarah Jane's going to be joining all of the classic Who stuff on BritBox. We'll talk about that next week, dude. But um, Great. Uh, and anyone that's a fan of Terror Hawks, apparently, that's oh, all going really? to BritBox next, next month as well. So August is looking good. Yeah, I like Terror Hawks. Anyway, onto the socials. Let's wrap these. There's only a few here. So Doctor Who Home says, what a classic. Part one does so much to hype up the big cliffhanger. And when it happens, it's just shock after shock as more and more familiar faces show up. The Big Bang is mental, but in a good way. And its breakneck pace makes it one of the most exciting stories of New Who, a 9 out of 10. Mm. Brilliant finale to my fave series, says Tin and Sonic. It's a good name. Uh, yeah. Tied it up so well. The reveal, it's uh, it's a prison, uh, was great. And the wedding scene was amazing. The series went out on a high, making me want more. A 10 out of 10. 10? Wowzers. Yeah, our writer Jordan Shortman says, overall series 5 is the only Matt Smith series I particularly like. And this finale wraps it all up brilliantly. Uh, I've got vivid memories of the action taking place around Stonehenge and the brilliant performances from all the cast. For me, this was the last great Moffat story. Oh, Jordan. Jordan. (laughs) And lastly, Chippy T, much prefer part one to two. The under Stonehenge parts are tense. The Rory and Amy story starts to come together and Doctor calling out the aliens powerful. Part two, though, tries to clear up too many arcs in one episode. I still have no idea of what silence will fall means. 7.5 7.5 yes what does it mean it's a prelude isn't it I, I have a, no answer that's why it's like I don't know yeah, it's a prelude isn't it to the silence that show up later yeah. on the impossible astronaut and all that jazz I think yeah. anyway over on Facebook Toby Coleman says we're all stories in the end just make it a good one Oh, no. Lovely line. Wow, this is amazing. The stakes were high and it looked fantastic. Poor Rory. Amy doesn't remember you. I love all the references, but wish we had seen a few of the old monsters mentioned. The cast are brilliant and it feels magical. Nine wedding vows out of ten. <laughs> Charlie Turner says, perhaps the darkest of all the show's cliffhangers to date uh, in the Pandora Opens. A fine way to end Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat's first series. My only gripe with it whenever... Th- that I watch it now is this whose voice is that in the TARDIS that says silence will fall question mark yeah I don't know yeah nine out of ten for both parts though 
Uh, Joseph Howarth says, for all the crap we give Moffat, it's a really good finale for Series 5. The silence will fall, was probably cool at the time, but when we found out that that phrase meant, and then we had Series 6, but never mind, Matt was great, Karen was great, Arthur was great, everyone was great. The speech Matt gives at the end of the first part is awesome, so was the one in the final part. Basically, it's a great way to finish the first series, 9 out of 10. Sweet. Uh, Andrew Stewart gave quite a long one, but he basically starts by saying, I have been on a binge of every Moffat story, and I coincidentally was on The Lodger when you said you were on this episode. Yeah. Uh, my thoughts on this one is that it starts off slow, but Rory and the other Centurion shut up, and it really picked up the pace. Uh, and then he goes on to mention that the Pandora Gropens for him is an 8.5 and a Big Bang to 7.5. Okie dokie. Yes. Uh, and at the end he said... Uh, also like the bit when the Doctor gets a call from the Orient Express in space. I wonder if that was Gus calling. Oh, could have been, yeah. Could have been, yeah. And lastly on Facebook, Aaron Ball says, very Stephen Moffat two-parter. Over time it has grown on me, but a really good story. Series 5 ended on a high, and River was good in this one. Matt was brill, and the uh, Dravons were mentioned from Galaxy 4. Oh, I missed that. Indeed, yeah. I'd give it an 8.5 Pandora's boxes out of 10. So some strong scores, dude, across the board. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. It's um yeah, I think it's a good strong final, this one. It's a good one. Yeah. So thank you everybody that sent in your reviews and our audio reviewers, Sammy Martin, Joe, Neil, and Tardisnet. Very much appreciated for that. So thank you so much. The average is probably a nine, I would say. A nine out of ten. It's very high. Who was yeah. it? Was it Martin that scored six? Uh yeah, Martin wasn't. Too Martin. And that's fine. You yeah. see, this is what I love about this podcast. We we don't get all hissy if someone has a different opinion to us. That's absolutely fine. And um, it's always interesting anyway if, if someone's, you know, not digging it or, or whatever. It's, it's, you know, it's good to have a difference of opinion. Oh, we of can't course, all like man. the same thing. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I, like, I like that. So Absolutely, man. We might not we agree on stuff. We won't be blocking and... you on Twitter. <laughs> oh, of course not. Never. No, we might not no. agree on stuff like Martin, who was, you know, saying some stuff around uh, Rory and all the bits of it. I don't agree with that. But Martin's such a cool guy, and we respect his opinion, then it's all good. Never, ever would we like... <laughs> yeah, so that's what makes it off. very cool. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's got their opinion, which is awesome. So uh, next week, dude, what we got? Next week, yeah, so we'll be back to Torchwood uh, with an episode called Something Borrowed. Mm. This one's weird. I remember this one from what, the... What is, what, watched what it a while ago. It's very, very weird. No, it's not yeah. another rubbish one, is it? Oh, well, I can't remember if it's rubbish or not, but I just remember Gwen being pregnant from an alien the night before oh. she's about to marry Reese. And oh, yeah. It's really strange, that one. But we'll see what happens. We'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so m- make sure you get your... Uh, I know that Torchwood is on iPlayer still at the minute, so if you've got uh, access to iPlayer, it's on there, or grab your DVDs or Blu-rays, whatever, get that watched because we'll ask for your reviews as always. And I think we'll wrap there, dude. Are we on 316 or 317? Yes, 316. We'll wrap there, dude, for 316. <laughs> All righty. thank you thank you for coming back for another week and listening to the big blue box podcast it's been great to have everybody here for another episode if this is the first time that you're listening to our show then welcome aboard it's great to have you and long time listeners or anyone that's listened to us for a while 
then it's great to have you here as well. The grizzled ancients, as we call them. Mm-hmm. It's just great to have everyone here, basically, listening to the show. It's all good. Uh, if you like the show, uh, make sure that you follow or subscribe on whatever podcast app you get your podcasts on. That way you won't miss a show when it lands every single Friday morning here in the UK. And uh, if you've got a second to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on something like Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, Stitcher, those kind of things. That would be awesome because that, that helps us out a lot. And thank you to all of those that have left reviews so far. Very much appreciated. Uh, we're on the socials too, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. There are links on the website, which is www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. You can also listen to all of our episodes on there for free as well in your browser. But link off to the socials from there. Give us a like and a follow. We chat about Doctor Who throughout the week. And we have a free Discord server as well. Uh, again, there's a link on the website. Uh, go and check that out. You can sign up for free uh, and come and join the other community of uh, Doctor Who fans. We'll chat plenty of Doctor Who about all sorts over there and while you're on the website remember to read all of the reviews and general articles from our writing team some really cool stuff on there uh mark did a really cool article a little while ago i think it was last week called don't you think it looks tired really really good uh um, thoughts from mark around you know the state of doctor who and what we can potentially do to fix some of that it's a very very cool read to go and do that and uh Jordan also did a review of the Robots Volume 4 from Big Finish. It's very cool. So go and check all that stuff out. Uh, remember to also check out my co-host channel over on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. Yeah, The Geek's Handbag, yeah. I've got a new location video coming out any day now. And it might even be out by the time this podcast goes out, if I can just finish it in time. <laughs> but yeah, go and go and check that out, because I'm really, really pleased with it. Yeah, so, sounds good, dude. Yeah. yeah, Adam's got such such a great library of stuff there. Go and check it out. He's on the socials too. Instagram, Twitter and Facebook under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Okay, until next week, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember... Cheers!